0: we may tend to treat this as a, or sort of a zero-sum game. I mean, why do we do that?
1: Welcome back to Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we have Andrew McGowan, who's the Dean and President of Berkeley Divinity School at Yale, And the McFadden Professor of Anglican Studies and Pastoral Theology, and Ned Parker, who's the Associate Dean for Institutional Advancement at Andover Newton Seminary at Yale Divinity School, and lecturer in homiletics. They're discussing Luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42, which is appointed for the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, proper 11 in year C. The text is read for you by student Katie Stewart. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord,
0: So Ned, uh, here we are with the Martha and Mary story. So you know, here we are, two white guys. We're, we're here with one of the great you know passages that has been a matter of positive argument about the ways in which women get to participate in Christian ministry. The last century, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah, all right. You you start, and then I'll dig the hole further after right. you, you begin.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. It's interesting. I mean, I I one of the things that stands out to me about this is. I as an introvert really look at this idea of the the charismatic extrovert being upheld as not necessarily a pinnacle but or nor an idol but 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 something f- uh for which to strive towards and there is so much good work that happens behind the scenes, good work that is left uncelebrated, you know, whether that's work at the Divinity School, whether that's work out in the community, whether that's work that actually happens within the confines of the church or work that churches are doing themselves, um, I do approach this passage with a bit of you know you talked about two white guys talking about this to 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 use a a theologian who is a woman her own phrase um a hermeneutic hermeneutic of suspicion as an introvert because i think that uh that this idea of upholding the the constantly talking charismatic personality is a dangerous dangerous way of um thinking about the way that this particular interaction unfolds. But in my tradition, that's how I've heard it upheld so many times, time and again, that I think in the context of these, you know, Bible studies that we're doing, it's something that stands out to me. And for one of the first times I get to say it out loud. So I say it to you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, there's there's an interesting little performative paradox there, isn't it? You do get to, yeah, yeah, you do get right. to say it, <laughs> right. and, and when you're done, don't forget to wash the dishes. You know, okay, um, but yeah, that's this this is this is really in, interesting and difficult. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's true. It, 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 we can't get around the fact that in the passage, he says, you know, Mary's chosen the the better part here.
2: Um, you can't, right?
0: Right? It, it's, it's there, but there, there are at least two. Important qualifications, I think, to make that I want want to make about this, just sort of to put them briefly to begin with. One, of course, which you know, feminist scholarship, not least, has made in in recent decades. Of course, let's not ignore the fact that the two people whose roles are being compared here are women, and that the possibility of Mary actually being able to take that extrovert role is not necessarily something that's. Well, it certainly has not been taken for granted or even often tolerated in, in many contexts then and subsequently. So we can't just read this gender neutrally, so to speak. So that you know, that's that's one aspect which just has to be on the table for sure. The other one that strikes me though is that we, you know, understandably I think, grind our teeth about the sort of relativities of this passage. Right. She's chosen the better part. But there's nothing disparaging about Martha's part. In this story, and there's a part of me that wonders uh, that once once we've thrashed out the thing about you know Mary and who she is and what it represents and so forth, it's it's also worth remembering that the relativity that's involved in Jesus' judgment doesn't necessarily translate to an absolute judgment about the value of Martha's contribution. It's not a scolding. There's no. no scolding here. No, she's she's the one who scolds, isn't she? <laughs> yes. I think. Um, but well, it may, maybe there's a bit of mutual scolding. But but I think that there's. I, I don't read anything into this that suggests a kind of lack of gratitude for Martha's hospitality. But isn't it interesting that we tend to do that?
2: We do tend to do that.
0: And there's there's so there's two slightly different points there, aren't there? One is that you've made the point about you know the way we lionize. You know, the extroverted, um, sort of the one who pipes up and, you know, and and, and offers their opinion about everything. And yet, on the other hand, I think we may tend to treat this a bit as though it were sort of a zero-sum game, you know, in which the affirmation of Mary is somehow necessarily uh, a put-down to Martha. I mean, why do we do that? So,
2: that's a great question. And… I wonder if the very final, you know, part B of the final verse in 42 offers some sort of answer. I'm not sure that it does, but I, but I kind of toss this back at you. What does it mean it will not be taken away from her? Yeah.
0: Um, I, I, I think this might mean a, a number of different things. And, I, and again, I'm sort of I'm having this in a conversation between what I suspect it meant in, in the context right. of the original, you know, gospel story and so forth um, I think I think we do have to note by the way even if this isn't you know the, the end of the story for us that it may even mean something about the way in which the first sort of generation of Jesus followers are thinking about the figure the figure of Mary herself mm. because she she does have this interesting authoritative place in some strands of the tradition you know as a witness to the resurrection as someone who who later gets sort of apocryphal Gospel literature attributed to her and so forth. She's see, really seen as a person of some authority, and so part of this is actually about this particular woman. Yeah, you know, yeah. and that there's something therefore that has to be remembered and understood about her, just as in some other passages where there are things we have to read and understand about Peter, for instance, which aren't necessarily transferable. Right, and and of course of that famous unnamed woman, you know, who anoints Jesus' feet. You know, what will what she has done will be will be, you know spoken of in memory of her, even though we don't know her name. Um, so, part of it's just Mary. But um, maybe, maybe if, we, if we try and bring this back to a slightly broader frame, I suppose that what I hear here, and, and this maybe circles back to your opening point, is that the the, the me I am, the, the who it is that I bring to, to this meal with Jesus is, is the me that's supposed to be involved in the story, you know, the, uh. that what I am. Is is not something that has to sort of be locked off and misshapen in order to conform to some kind of universal template of my existence, but rather that that the gift I bring, whatever it may be, is something that has to be accepted as a part of me. You know that that is not to be taken away from me. Does that make any sense to you?
2: It does. Yeah. I mean, bringing. I mean, I think you know this is the point at which maybe we become uh, disciples of Brene Brown, along with disciples of Jesus. To bring our most authentic selves. We keep hearing about the idea of how important it is to enter into community or, or first find a community where we can be our most authentic selves um, and to live out whatever our call might be, whether it is to be in front of people or to be doing work behind the scenes. But, but I do think that, you know, you're, you're talking about bridging the context of both first century or when this was written and now, and how do we parse things out, but also recognize that there are parallels between them. And as two people who are concerned about the future of the church and training people to go out and be in that church, this idea of authenticity and belonging is something that it becomes increasingly important. The farther we get into the 21st century. And perhaps the story of Mary and Martha is a story that we need to be spending more time with as we think about that authenticity and and belonging.
0: I, I think it does that. So, you know, you brought out that sense in which it, it has a kind of universal resonance, Ned, that we do need to be um, encouraging all the people who we're training for ministry and indeed anyone who's listening to this to think about what the authentic self that they're bringing to to life is to, to let alone to ministry but there are also those more specific readings that we referred to before like the way in which our many of our women colleagues have been able to read these stories to understand that they provide a particular kind of authorization for women's ministry not only as a ministry of you know service and logistical support but one of intellectual leadership and and one of you know strategic leadership but I think there are also sort of parallels that we have to ponder there there's the fact that you know not only women historically but also people of color have often not felt that their ability to choose between the two parts has been something you know that has been universally acknowledged uh, we might have to be able to draw parallels where people are not able to bring the authenticity of their true self to the table because of their social location
2: yeah i think that there are so many opportunities in this passage that are that are ripe for us to to have a conversation that's much longer than 10 minutes particularly when it comes to those people whose social locations have been chosen for them and that's that's a very powerful thing to think about and something that we as the people of god need to think about because i think that there have been times in the church's history when your authentic self is not welcome. And that's, that's important to, to, to bear in mind.
1: Thanks for listening. And thank you, Deans McGowan and Parker, for being with us this week. For more Bible study resources, visit yalebiblestudy.org. You can also find out more about chapter, verse, and season there, including a transcript of this episode. And follow us on Twitter... Bible, Yale. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aiden Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer, Helena Martin. Katie Stewart did the transcript, and our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from Chapter, Verse,
0: and Season.